everybody, and welcome back to I Just Want to Talk About the Bible. Uh, my name is Christian. For those of you who are joining us for the first time this week, I'm glad to have you with us. Now, in the introduction to this podcast, the very first episode, I mentioned that almost every episode is going to fall under one of three primary categories. The first category being, what is the Lord currently showing me? Because I believe that if he's shown it to me and put it in my heart, that when I share it, it'll have power because it's originating from the Spirit of God and not just something I contrived in my own mind. And so that's the first category. I've already uploaded a couple episodes that fall under that. The second category is going to be a question and answer about the Bible, Christianity, Jesus, any of that stuff. So if you have any questions, feel free to email me at I just want to talk about at gmail.com. I'll be sure to include that. Uh, email address in the show notes for this episode so that you can just copy and paste it if you need to. And then the third category is going to be hopefully equipping uh, you guys with tools for reading your Bible, uh, ways that'll help the Bible make more sense, ways that'll help the Bible come more alive in ways that previously maybe it hadn't. I know that I have benefited a lot whenever people have given me tools and it's made the Bible a very it's made it make a lot more sense, and also that has led to it being a lot more exciting, um, especially some especially some stuff in the Old Testament, because some of that, especially in the prophets, can be really hard. So today, specifically, what we're going to be talking about is an overview of the Old Testament, a very, very, very brief overview of the Old Testament. If we were to get too much into detail, it'll, it would take hours. And I'm sure we're going to be revisiting a lot of the stuff that we touch on today as perhaps the subject of entire episodes moving forward. But for now, I just want to help us get an overview. I've noticed that uh, for us as believers, the Old Testament can be something that's pretty, pretty hard to handle. Sometimes we don't know what to do with it. Uh, we are familiar with parts of it, such as um, Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Moses, uh, the people of Israel, and then there's a whole bunch of kings with names that are really hard to pronounce, not really sure what's going on anymore, and then all of a sudden we're in the New Testament. You know, and so it can be really, really difficult. And but so an overview, if we have a general lay of the land of okay, this is kind of the the overarching history in the Old Testament, then if you hear a reference to somebody, or even if you just start reading the Old Testament, you can kind of help place, okay, this is where that is, this is happening in this story. And that can really help make a lot more sense of stuff. And so, you know, I, I've, I have encountered some believers who also don't even really see much value in the Old Testament. And I don't want to get into a lengthy discussion on, you know, all the ways that the Old Testament is very, very important. But but one of the big ways that I, I, I want to highlight in our conversation today is that in order to really understand the New Testament, we need to have a grasp on the Old. The, new, the more we understand the Old Testament, the more the New Testament makes sense. Let me just give you a quick example of what I mean. So in the book of Jude, second to last book in the New Testament, right before the book of Revelation, uh, it's, a, it's a very short letter, and it's only one chapter long, but I'm just going to pick one verse out of there to illustrate what I mean. Verse 11 in Jude says this, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. <laughs> Right right there in one verse, right there in one verse is three completely separate Old Testament references. The reference to Cain, the reference to Balaam, 
and the reference to Korah's rebellion. Those are three separate incidents, and yet Jude is drawing on all three of them to make his point. And I can remember in times past when I've read the book of Jude, and I've been like, what is he talking about? Like, what on earth is he talking about? And that verse, verse 11, that I just read is just the tip of the iceberg. Like, if you were to read the, read the entire short book of Jude, there's going to be so much in there that you're like, what? <laughs> but one thing I can say, and this was actually very encouraging to me, uh, the most recent time that I read through Jude, it made more sense to me than it has ever made before. And the reason why is because I'm more acquainted with the Old Testament. I'm more acquainted with the stuff that he's referring to. I know what he's talking about when he talks about Cain. I know what he's talking about when he mentions Balaam. I understand what happened during Korah's rebellion. In fact, I was reading about Korah's rebellion yesterday morning. And so and so my, my point is just this. A study of the Old Testament is not a waste of time. I, I assure you it is it is very valuable. Let me give you another and even more probably relevant example to your experience as a Christian, it would be this. So in the New Testament, in the time of Jesus, during the the gospel accounts, and uh, even throughout the book of Acts, we have this people group called the Samaritans. And, you know, you've probably heard a pastor talk about these before, but where did they come from? You might have heard him say, yeah, they have kind of Jewish origins, but they don't really, they're not full-blooded Jewish people and they were ostracized. Yeah, like we've probably heard that, but why? Like where did they even come from? The answer to that is in the Old Testament. It is in the Old Testament. And the more we understand that, the more it's going to make sense. So what I'm going to do right now, just so we can kind of have an idea, is I'm going through the narrative of the Old Testament. I will mention um, books like Psalms and the book of Psalms and the book of um uh, proverbs and things like that. I'll certainly mention what is frequently called wisdom literature, uh, and I'll come back around to it. But but I just want to get an overview of okay, what are the events that happen in order? So, going back to the very beginning, we most of us know this part. It's Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, they were placed there. We don't know how long they were there, but they were there. Um, they had the one command: do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, they were deceived by the serpent. They sin, and they were driven. From the garden. Uh, in fact, the Garden of Eden, the more you look at it, it's, it's you know, before sin has entered the world, it, it's depicted as an overlap of heaven and earth. It's like, okay, God is there. Humans are there. God would walk uh, with them in the cool of the day. It's, it's, it's this incredible place. And spoiler alert, that's actually how the Bible ends. The Bible ends with Eden completed, like fully expanded. And so it, it starts with an overlap of heaven and earth, and it ends with an overlap of heaven and earth. Uh, Jerusalem descending from heaven down onto the, the new earth. And you can already see just from that, that in order to even try to understand Revelation, we need to know the Old Testament. Um, if we try to interpret the book of Revelation apart from the Old Testament, we're going to wind up in all sorts of places. So it starts, we know Adam and Eve... They sin. They're driven from the garden. They have two sons and uh, and other sons and daughters. We find out from later in the text, but they're uh, but they're presumably first two are Cain and Abel. And uh, Cain gets mad because God shows regard for Abel's sacrifice, and he gets mad and kills his brother Abel. And then he's driven away from the presence of the Lord, kind of like his parents were. And so he's, he becomes a wanderer and goes and settles a city elsewhere. But then Adam and Eve have another son named Seth. 
And then there is a genealogy that is introduced that tracks from um, Adam and Eve down to Noah, another famous figure. And so now we're in Genesis chapter 6, and there is multiplying evil on the earth. There is this issue with what are called Nephilim, which we are not going to get into right now, but I'm sure we will in future episodes. And so the God sends a flood to cover the earth, and the eight people in Noah's ark, namely Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives, they uh they they obey the Lord. They are uh Noah is is righteous and the Lord saves him. And then it's kind of like a reset, actually. It's a uh it's like the Garden of Eden kind of all over again. And here's new humanity kind of starting over. And then there is uh the Noah and his sons, they they have families and things continue to spread until Genesis 10, when we have the famous Tower of Babel event. Genesis 10 and 11, where people say, we're going to build a tower up into heaven. Basically, they do on a social scale what Adam and Eve did on an individual scale. We want to be like God. And so they try to do the exact same thing. And then God confuses their languages, scatters them, and separates them. And they all go in completely different directions. And immediately after that, he chooses Abram. Abram, and he says, you're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to be... uh, the father of my pe- the forefather of my people, the Hebrew people, and so we know there's the whole thing with Abram. Uh, God renames him Abraham, which means father of a multitude. God promises him promises him a son, and but both Abraham and his wife Sarah are too old to have a child, and so there is um, the issue with Hagar. Um, basically, uh, he Abraham has a child by. Uh, Sarah's servant, and God says, no, that's not what I meant. That's not how we're doing things. You will have a child by Sarah. So then eventually they do. They have a child, and um, his name is Isaac. And then Isaac has a son, uh, two sons, Jacob and Esau. And then through Jacob, Jacob will have 12 sons. He ends up having 12 sons, and they become the forefathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so I'm trying to keep this really brief. Like I'm, I'm omitting so many details, as many of you know, who are well acquainted with the book of Genesis. So this is pretty much the end of the book of Genesis. Uh, Joseph gets sold into slavery down in Egypt by his brothers. And Joseph ends up interpreting dreams for Pharaoh because they were out in the land of Canaan, uh, modern day Palestine. And then uh, Joseph was sold into slavery into Egypt. So... Uh, through the interpretation of these dreams, Joseph ascends to second in command over what was then probably the most powerful nation in the world, which was Egypt. So he ends up saving the world from this upcoming famine. And then Joseph and his family, they all move down to Egypt and things are going well for them there. They are in Egypt about 400, 420 years. And then a Pharaoh came up. Pharaoh means king, king of Egypt. A Pharaoh came who did not know Joseph or his family. And he began to be intimidated by the Israelites, um, and he then decided to enslave them. He decided to enslave them and set taskmasters over them. They continued to increase. He was concerned that if there were ever an uprising of the Hebrews, they would be a powerful force. So then he atrociously decided and told um, Midwives, listen, whenever a Hebrew woman is having a child, if it's a daughter, let her live. If it's a son, kill him right there on the spot. Kill him. Throw him into the Nile and kill him. And so the 
that just started this absolutely just awful thing, which let me pause here. So, like I said, they've been in Egypt about 400 years. This might sound familiar to you who are uh, acquainted with the book of Matthew because King Herod did the same thing, didn't he? Remember when he heard that Jesus had been born, he killed all the boys in that region who were two years and younger? And by the way, whenever that happened, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus fled into Egypt. And so you see, it's like a reversal of what's happening here in the Old Testament. Instead of fleeing from Egypt because and, and escaping from Egypt and Pharaoh killing all of them, this is happening in Israel. And so there's a whole bunch of messaging in that. And it makes that passage come so much more alive. So returning back to the Old Testament, what happens now is... Um, God raises up a deliverer, Moses. Um, he was placed, as we know, in the basket and set down the other river. Pharaoh's daughter finds him and has compassion on him. He grows up in Pharaoh's house. As an adult, he sees a Hebrew slave being mistreated by an Egyptian. He, uh, in anger, kills the Egyptian. And then the next day, he sees two Hebrews arguing, and he tries to break up the argument. And they say, basically, what are you going to do? Kill us like you killed the Egyptian? So then Moses got scared. Uh, reasonably, and he fled into the wilderness. He fled into the wilderness, and he remained there for 40 years. And so when he left Egypt, he was 40. He remained in the wilderness for 40 years, and there he married um, a woman named Zipporah, and <clears throat> he was just a, a shepherd. He was a shepherd out in a region called Midian. So it came to pass that, and this is another famous story, while climbing a mountain in the area tending flocks, he sees a bush that is burning and is not consumed. And reasonably, he says, I will turn aside to see this great sight. And so he goes over and the Lord speaks to him out of the burning bush. And we know this conversation. He commands, listen, I've heard the cry of my people um, in, in Egypt. You're going to go. You're going to be their deliverer. Moses goes back and forth with the Lord until he finally just says, please send somebody else. And God says, fine. You see, there's your brother Aaron. He can speak well. He will go with you. So then Aaron and Moses go before Pharaoh. They perform signs to authenticate that, that God, you know, God told them, hey, do this, throw down the staff and it will turn into a snake. Um, you can put your hand inside your cloak and it will come out leprous with leprosy and you put it back inside your cloak and it'll come back out. Uh, and so we, he did things like this to authenticate Moses's message. But some of these magicians in Pharaoh's court could actually duplicate some of what he did, but not all of it. And, uh, and so what happens is Pharaoh basically says, no, 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 you can't take them, and the, it gets worse for the Hebrews for a period of time. So it comes to pass, the ten plagues, right? The ten plagues come, and Pharaoh says, no, 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 and he keeps, and he kind of goes back and forth some, and then there's the tenth and final plague, which is the death of the firstborn, which uh, God sends the, the destroying angel to come through and kill the firstborn of any household, except the houses that have the blood of, you know, the lamb painted on the doorpost and the lentils. This is the origin of the Passover. And this is another place. Uh, Jesus is called the Passover lamb. Uh, John the Baptist says of Jesus, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so to even understand what's there, we have to understand the Passover in the Old Testament. Okay, so then uh, finally Pharaoh says, after that incident, after the death of the firstborn of all the, the people in Egypt, except for those, the Hebrews who had spread the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the lentils, he says, you know what, get out, get out, just leave, go, get out of here. And so then they start leaving and they start walking in the direction of this body of water. Um, 
the Red Sea, right? So then Pharaoh says, what have I done? And he gets in his chariot and he pursues them. And then now Israel is pinned between the Red Sea and this ensuing army. And they start freaking out. Were there not enough graves back in Egypt that you've brought us out here to kill us? And so then God, of course, uh, through Moses parts the Red Sea. There is a cloud that blocks, that descends, that blocks the Egyptian army from uh, Moses. And and then God parts the Red Sea and they paw, they pass through the Red Sea. The Egyptians try to follow. It says the wa- the water stood as walls on either side. So then... They try to pass through. The waters come crashing back down to the Egyptians, and Israel escapes into the wilderness. Uh, let me pause again, and I want to keep connecting this to the New Testament because I think that it'll just make it. This is my whole point for doing this. Look at what happens in the book of Matthew with Jesus. So, Jesus, they flee to Egypt. And then after Herod dies, um, an angel comes to Joseph in a dream and says, Hey, the people who are seeking your life are gone. They're dead now. You can return. And so then Jesus comes out of Egypt. Then in Matthew chapter 3, he passes through the waters of baptism. And then immediately afterwards in chapter 4, he's driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. It's just like Israel. They came out of Egypt, passed through the waters, and then they go into the wilderness. You see, there are connections here. And it gets even more because Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. Israel is in the wilderness for 40 years. So you see these connections. They're very intentional. It's very clear. It's very very helpful and very meaningful. So... uh, you know, God leads, there's all sorts of tests in the wilderness. God miraculously provides for these people and they continually grumble. Uh, they go to Mount Sinai. They spend about a year at the foot of Mount Sinai. Uh, God gives Moses all sorts of commands, like the Ten Commandments, among other things while they're there. And then they set out for the edge of the promised land because God says, I'm going to bring you into your own land. Now, their wilderness wanderings would have been much shorter, maybe a year and a half or two years. But when they got to the edge of the promised land, they sent in 12 spies. Ten of the spies, or all 12 of them, and they said, listen, it's a good land. It's great. There's food. It's wonderful. It is a wonderful land. Beautiful. But there's a problem. There are giants. There are what they call the Anakim, which are connected to the Nephilim. They're giants. And again, we'll talk about that in another episode. And we looked like grasshoppers to them, and we don't want to go up in there. Two of the 12 spies were named Joshua and Caleb. They said, no, 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 no. The Lord has given them into our hands. Let's go. We can take this. And these other people said, no, no, we can't. And so then God basically says, you want the wilderness? You can have the wilderness. And he said, I'm going to make you guys wander around until this generation that rejected my command dies off. And then I'll give the promised land to their children. At this point, the people said, oh, no, we were just kidding. We're just kidding. Let's go back. And they tried to, to go. And Moses and, and, and all these people said, no, don't, don't go. The Lord's not going to go with you now at this point because of that situation. And the people said, no, we can still take the promised land. They go up there. They get defeated and they flee. So then they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, Moses himself doesn't even enter the promised land because he, uh, he, because of an incident where he struck, you, many of you probably know, he struck a rock when God told him to speak to the rock and uh, why it warranted keeping him out of the promised land is, is a topic that people have different opinions on and we can maybe talk about that some other time. But just suffice it to say, Moses was disobedient and he was not allowed to enter the promised land. When Moses dies, the leadership of Israel passes to his protege and assistant, Joshua. Joshua. Joshua was one of the 12 spies, like I said. He was Moses' assistant. Uh, he had fought in battles to this point, and God says, you're going to, you're going to take and conquer this promised land. And, 
And Joshua, you know, for the for the most part, the book of Joshua is a book of victory. There's a few things here and there where Joshua's a little bit too hasty and he should have paused to seek the Lord and it would have saved him heartache and even some death of, of if his um of some of the people in his army. But by and large, um the conquest is is successful. It is successful. And in a future episode we will talk about the conquest of Canaan, uh, the events of the book of Joshua in greater length, because I know that this is a part of the Bible that has caused distress for some readers and raised them to ask questions like, how could God tell them to go in there and take the land? What about the inhabitants? And makes them make them you know ask questions like that. And those are good questions, and there are good que- good answers to those questions as well. Uh, in fact. Uh, my wife and I had uh, a couple over not too long ago who were wrestling with that very question, and I think it was a really profitable and, and good conversation. And so we will be addressing that as an entire episode. Um, but coming back to just the uh, overview of the Old Testament, so Joshua, under under Joshua's leadership, um, most of the promised land is taken. There are a few sections that are not taken. Um, one of them is uh, this, the region of Gath, which, uh, spoiler alert, Goliath is from Gath, um, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So most of Canaan is taken under the leadership of Joshua. And then Joshua dies, and uh, over the next period of time, Israel gets stuck in this really awful cycle during the book of Judges. The mantra of the book of Judges is that there was no king in Israel in those days, and the people did whatever was right in their own eyes. And there's some disturbing stuff in Judges. You, you'll read through it and, and you'll you'll say, oh my goodness. And this is a good time to include that just because something is written in the Bible does not mean that God necessarily uh, approves of it. Uh, it's just accurately recording events a lot of times, especially in the narrative portions of the Bible that are just saying, this is what happened. And so just because it's in there does not mean that God approved of it, doesn't mean that he sanctioned it. And so we have to be good students and ask the question of, okay, what does God think about this circumstance? And so you, you'll have plenty of practice asking that question as you read the book of Judges. But what happens in Judges is God raises up regional uh, leaders. They're called Judges, uh, not surprisingly. And this is where we get stories like uh, Samson, you know, famous story of Samson, the story of, of Gideon, the story of Ehud, which is very, very comical and fun to read. But what they do is the people would be oppressed by a foreign nation because they would uh, just... They would turn their back on the Lord, and then he would allow another nation to come in, and this nation would come in, and they would cry out to the Lord, and the Lord would raise up a judge to deliver them from this nation. So it shows the heart of the Lord that he wants to deliver these people. He wants to be close to them, but they just keep they keep abandoning him, forsaking him, and turning their back, and so he will allow... So he will allow these adverse circumstances to come along so that they will repent. And, and they, they kind of serve as a disciplinary role to bring them back to him. So whenever they cry out, he'll raise up a judge. And so there's this cycle of sin and then the discipline of the Lord. And then the people cry out. And then there's a deliverer, a judge. And they just keep going through the cycle over and over and over again. And that goes throughout the entire book of Judges. And then in First Samuel comes uh, along the final judge. Uh, his name is Samuel, and I'm not going to get into all the details of his life, but he's a prophet and a, and a, and a judge, and he's a really, uh, Samuel's a, he's a good, he's a good guy. 
So then it's during the time of Samuel that the people cry out for a king and God allows them to have a king and they pick a guy named Saul. Saul starts off really, really well, but he ends really poorly. He, uh, the, the nation of Israel has become a monarchy now and it's all, you know, united. There's 12 tribes of Israel that descended from the 12 tribes of Jacob, as I talked about a minute ago. And so well, they are united under, under King Saul. And so Saul just continues to disobey the Lord, to do things his own way. And so finally, the Lord says, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you and give it to somebody else. And this is when King David comes along. God picks King David. Saul does not want David to be king. Saul feels threatened by David. Um, Saul goes a little crazy uh, and ends up, you know, trying to kill David, pursuing David. And eventually Saul dies and David ascends the throne. Just to kind of get this on the chronological map, David became king, I believe, is it around 1000 BC. So David's kingdom was around 1000 BC. After David, uh, his son Solomon reigned, and Solomon uh, started out good, but before his life uh, was over, uh, his heart had been drawn away from the Lord. He married a lot of different women, and they were a lot of them were from different nations, and so whenever uh, the other nations would be brought into it like this, they would bring their other gods. And so it says at the end of um, Solomon's life that his heart had been taken away from the Lord and that God was going to take the kingdom from him. He was going to take the kingdom from him and give it to somebody else. And so after Solomon's life is where things begin to get really, really complicated in the narrative of the Old Testament. And this is where most of the people, uh, you know, it, it, most of the time you'll be talking to somebody who's a literate Bible reader. And they'll be tracking pretty well up until this point. But it is this point, um, which takes place during the time of First and Second Kings, that things get really, really murky. Because the kingdom splits. The kingdom splits. Ten of the twelve tribes be become their own nation, and then two remain uh, under under the lineage of David. Of course, uh, Judah being one of those, and David was from Judah, um, the tribe of Judah. Uh, Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. There's a whole bunch of stuff that stretches way into the New Testament with that. The northern kingdom during this time is referred to as Israel. The southern kingdom is referred to as Judah. So the ten northern tribes that are taken out of, um, that, that are ripped away from Solomon and his descendants are, are called Israel and just makes things really confusing. Um, and then the southern or the two southern tribes are called Judah. So then uh, this starts a parallel line of kings, some in Israel, some in Judah. And these two, this is why when you read kings, you'll it'll kind of be like a back and forth. And sometimes these kings interact. Sometimes they fight with one another. But these two kingdoms run parallel until um, 722 BC. 722 BC. During this time, the majority of the kings in both of the nations uh, are unfaithful to the Lord. They uh, seek out um, other gods. They become idolaters. And God sends them prophet after prophet after prophet, warning them, giving them chance to repent. And just giving them a ton of time. However, in 722 BC, God allows Assyria, which is another nation, to come in and conquer Israel. And by Israel, I'm referring to the ten tribes in the north. They, they conquer Israel. And then Judah, the southern two tribes, they still 
exist for another 150 years. But this, this is a very important part of Israel's history because this is the origin of the Samaritans. So Assyria comes in and, you know, takes over the top, you know, northern tribes and they, um, they conquer the land and they deport some of the people and uh, they keep some of them there. But what the Samaritans were, the Samaritans were the offspring of the mixing of the Assyrians who invaded and the, uh, the Israelites who lived in, in the northern ten tribes. And so you see there's this animosity between them and the Jews of Jesus' day, um, the word Jew coming from the word Judea, and so, or I'm sorry, Judah, Judah. And uh, so then you see there is this longstanding cultural and even racial animosity um, between these people that you can see even in Jesus's day in John 4 when he's speaking to the woman at the well you see that uh, not only is it uh, a cultural and racial thing it's even become a religious thing when she tries to rope him into that conversation well you're you people say you have to worship in Jerusalem my people say we worship on Mount Gerizim um, and yet they still they still have some similarities between them because she references Jacob as as the father of the Samaritans and you can read all about that in John chapter four and so that explains the origin of the Samaritans so at this point seven twenty two Assyria comes in conquers all of that Judah exists for another hundred fifty years however Judah follows in the footsteps of Israel as time goes by. They become idolaters, they forsake the Lord, and though the Lord sends prophet after prophet and warning after warning, he eventually says, okay. And he allows Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon to come over. And over the, over the course of time, there are there is an invasion, Jerusalem is besieged. And in the 580s, 590s uh, range, the uh, Jerusalem falls. Um, there are Nebuchadnezzar returns multiple times, which is why I'm giving you that kind of time frame. But Jerusalem falls, the Lord lets Nebuchadnezzar destroy it, and Nebuchadnezzar destroys the temple. Now, just a quick note about the temple. Whenever Israel had been wandering back in the wilderness through uh, with Moses, God would God gave them instructions on to build a tabernacle. And the tabernacle is where Moses and the priests would go to meet with the Lord. During Solomon, the son of David's reign, uh, son of David, his reign, he built a temple for the Lord. And the temple was where, um, you know, you would go to, to worship the Lord. It was where, it was where God dwelled basically. And yeah, God dwells everywhere, but it's like, but this is like a hot spot of his presence, if you can picture it that way. And so God says, you know, fine. And he lets Nebuchadnezzar come in and destroy the temple and carry away a lot of the Jews into exile in Babylon carries the Jews into exile into Babylon. Now, we are familiar, whether we realize it or not, with this part of the Bible because of the book of Daniel. The events recorded in Daniel take place in Babylon because Daniel and his three friends were taken captive and uh, brought into Babylon. His three friends are the ones that we call Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not actually their real, like their native-born names. Uh, whenever King Nebuchadnezzar took them, he gave he renamed them, probably with pagan names, and um, those were their their new names that um, Nebuchadnezzar gave them. Daniel also got a, a new name, Belshazzar, and. Uh, so that the events, you know, the fiery furnace, Daniel interpreting the dreams. Um, Daniel in the lion's den and all that, that takes place while they're in Babylon. And uh, they're in Babylon for 70 years. 
That's how long they're in there. Jeremiah the prophet predicted that they would be in there 70 years. Ezekiel is actually a prophet in exile in, in Babylon. Uh, and the reason why 70, just as a side note, was because every seven years, they were supposed to let the land lie, lie fallow. They were supposed to let it lie and let the land rest. It was a Sabbath for the land. And they had not done that uh, for 490 years. And so 490 uh, divided by seven is 70. So the land had missed 70 Sabbath rests. And so God repaid the land, the missing Sabbaths. And so they were taken out into exile. And that, that's written explicitly in, um, in the prophet Jeremiah. But so they're in uh, exile for 70 years. The world kingdom at this time, the superpower is Babylon. Now, then the Persians come along. The Persians come along and they conquer Babylon, and then they they have a slightly different way of running the world um, than Babylon did. They seem to allow their subjects to have a little bit more autonomy, and so they Cyrus is is the king at this time after uh, King Nebuchadnezzar is displaced, and he allows the Jews to return home. Now, there's some really incredible stuff about. Um, the world kingdoms and everything that's recorded in the book of Daniel, specifically in uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. However, we'll get to that. That's worthy of a whole episode, probably because I want to do something like this as well for what happens between the Testaments, because a whole lot happens between the Old and the New Testament that's very, very important to understanding the New as well. However, coming back to this, so Cyrus, the Persians, they've come along and they have displaced uh Babylon as the world superpower, and they said to the Jews, you can go back to your homeland. You can go back to your homeland. So now this is in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. This is kind of where we are at this point. So they go back. Um, they end up building a second temple, uh, another temple there. Uh, Nehemiah helps rebuild the walls in Jerusalem, and this is after the Babylonian exile. So the book of Esther also takes place during this time, except it pertains to the events in Persia. Uh, so some Jews didn't return to the land. Uh, a lot of them did, some didn't. And so you can read about Esther, and then that is pretty much where the Old Testament ends. You know, somewhere in this uh, 400s to 500 BC range. And You've probably heard of the 400 silent years between the two Testaments, about 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, where we don't have information in our, in our Bible. There's not like an uh, inspired text from that period. Uh, and so, and we'll talk about that, that time period at a future date, because again, that's very, very imp important. Now, something about this. So that's kind of the general overview. You got... Um, you know, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah, then the Tower of Babel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, and then Joseph, Jacob's, uh, Jacob's son, going um, into the land of Egypt and all of that stuff. Then Moses' deliverer rising up, and then Joshua, then you have the judges. And then after the judges, the final judge, Samuel, you have Saul, David, and Solomon at the United Kingdom and then the Divided Kingdom. There is a really complicated list of kings. And so, uh, and then after that, Nebuchadnezzar comes along and Assyria come along and everyone is deported and then they can come back and 70 years from Babylon. And then we have some information about life after the exile. 
couple of things. Um, I will include in the show notes a chart of the kings of Israel and Judah, just so you can have it in front of you. And uh, so I'll, it'll be a picture of that so you can kind of help see uh, who are these kings? Uh, what is the order they came in? How long did they reign, maybe? Uh, and so hopefully that'll be a useful resource for you. But it uh, that is a very, very brief overview. And it's helpful to know that because when you're reading something, you can then place things. Now, that is an overview of the narrative of the Old Testament, but the Old Testament is much more than narrative. There are psalms and poetry and, and wisdom literature that aren't necessarily telling a narrative. Uh, the psalm, like, For example, psalms don't necessarily tell a narrative, but they take place in the narrative. And sometimes at the top of psalms, you'll be, it'll say like, oh, this is a psalm of David when he hid in the cave of Adullam or something like that. And it'll kind of, if you're acquainted with the, the overarching story, then you ought to say, oh, I know what was happening in this circumstance, and it carries added weight. Um, same thing with uh, some of the other uh, wisdom literature, and, so, and, and, and especially with the prophets. The prophets read in isolation are some of the most confusing literature that you'll ever read. I mean, for goodness sakes, even written in context, they're hard to understand. So the prophets, though, the prophets... M- take place, God sent them to Israel or to Judah. And so a lot of the prophets we can place, oh, um, he's speaking to Hezekiah. For example, Isaiah speaks to Hezekiah. We can look up Hezekiah. He was a king of Judah, and we can learn all about the events surrounding that, and it makes it make a lot more sense. Some of the prophets, we don't know when they took place. We, we, don't, we don't exactly know. Scholars will have guesses and estimations, but especially some of the shorter ones, we don't know for sure. So this is a good time to very briefly mention something called the Tanakh. Some of you may have heard of the Tanakh before. Tanakh is uh, what the Jewish Bible is called. The Jewish Bible is what we call the Old Testament. And so it's the, it's, it's the books of our Old Testament, except it's ordered a little bit differently. The books in the Hebrew Bible are the same books as our Old Testament books, Genesis, you know, through Malachi is how ours are ordered, but theirs are ordered differently. And it's actually kind of noteworthy because you will see in the New Testament, people will make reference to the Old Testament ordering of the books at that time. Uh, for example, let me just go ahead and pull up Luke 20, I believe it's Luke. 24. Yeah, Luke 24. This is the last chapter in the in the book of Luke. And it says that Jesus, uh, intera- this is after Jesus has risen, he's interacting with his disciples. And it says here, it says, then he, Jesus, said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written, and listen to these categories, in the law of Moses, and the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. So he says three categories, the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Now, the word Tanakh, like I said, that is the way that the Hebrews describe their, what they call their Bible. It's, it's three words. The first word, the ta part is Torah. The second word, Tanakh, the second word, na, I guess is the abbreviation is uh, Nevi'im. And the third one, ka, is Ketuvim. Each of those means something. The T for Torah means it's the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the law, the law of Moses. The second one, um, na, Nevi'im, means the prophets, the prophets. And then the third one, Ketuvim, means the writings, 
the writings. Uh, the largest book in the writings will be the Psalms. So when Jesus refers to uh, the, the, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, that term Psalms, the whole category is encompassed there. And so what's interesting, though, about the, the ordering of the Tanakh is this. It lays out the entire narrative. Our English Old Testament has a, has a different order, um, and, but it, it'll lay out the entire narrative. And then as you read through the prophets and the, um, and the, 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 the writings, the wisdom literature, you will be able to have the narrative, the entire overarching, overarching narrative that we just talked about in your mind. So you can kind of go back and place these things and be like, oh, this plugs in here, this plugs in here. So in the show notes, what I'm going to do is I'm also going to include a, a, um, the Tanakh ordering of the books in the Old Testament uh, and the English Bible ordering um, of the books of the Old Testament, just so that you can see those. Um, but hopefully this will be able to provide a framework just as you are even reading the New Testament or going back through the Old. This this overview of the Old Testament will be able to say, you'll be able to say, oh, okay, I, I get the idea. And what I've given you here is just an absolute skeleton. In fact, this isn't even enough information to call it a skeleton, but you're going to have to really fill in the gaps here by familiarizing yourself with uh, the events that we referred to today. And uh, that's just something that uh, we'll get into all this stuff in the future, but I hope that this has at least laid the groundwork for you to get a better understanding of the Old Testament and therefore a better understanding of the New Testament. All right, thanks, guys. God bless you.